0: Last week we had an all-age service and I said we were starting a a series of, well, what did you expect? And um, this is the, that was sort of like an introductory, but this is the the first of the expectations. And I'm kind of really intrigued by this idea that the things you expect set you up either for fulfillment or for disappointment. If you expect the wrong stuff of life, you will always be disappointed. But if you're clear about what are the expectations that you might have of life and, as Christians, of God and of what the Spirit is wanting to do in you, then actually you're set up for fruitfulness. So my question, and it's a really basic, obvious, bottom line question is, so what did you expect when you became a Christian? Last night... We were, some of us were at the event uh, where Tony Campolo was speaking. Tony Campolo is 78 years old. He is uh, one of God's gifts to the church. He's been a provocative um, sort of speaker and writer in the past. He's been a champion for the poor. And he's been able to speak at all different levels. And last night, I felt, did a brilliant exposition of what this was about. I wish you'd been there Because had you been there, I would not have spoken. Now you're wishing you'd been there. (laughs) So let me set out some really basic stuff. If you're not a Christian this morning, or if you're not sure where you are, I really, really, really want you to surrender to Jesus. I really want you to become a Christian. Because it is good news. And if you're a Christian who's been following this life for years, I want you to be really passionate about it. I don't want it just to be, oh yeah. I want you to be really passionate about following Jesus. Because I think actually you're better off not following Jesus than following Jesus but not being passionate about it. if you're kind of like in that ground, I really want you to be passionate about following Jesus. And if you are following Jesus, and you understand it, and you get the implications of it, I want you to invite other people to follow him. Because if you reckon it's good news, I want you to actually invite someone else to say, why don't you receive this good news? Because either the gospel is the good news of God, or it isn't. And I I stand with you in the tradition of 2,000 years of people who say have said, all the way back to Jesus and the disciples and Paul, all the way through, this is the good news of God that will absolutely transform things. The good news is this, that God loves you and has not given up on you. The good news is that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've strayed, God has not given up on us because his love is remarkable. So remarkable that he dealt with the central problem, which was our independence and alienation from God. And he did it through Jesus on the cross. You'll spend a whole lifetime working out how that happened but actually, the trust is that God dealt with the problem that we had, the, same, that the absolute central problem, which is our desire to control everything, God dealt with by saying, you've messed up, but I can actually repair the fracture that's in our relationship, and you can live differently with me. And then, the good news is this, that he's not left as just wanting to try harder or wanting to be good He says, I'll come and live within you. My spirit, my power will live in you so you can serve me. It's good news, folks. You don't look like it's good news. But I'm really working hard at the front here to try and persuade you that this is actually good news. But part of the problem is this. If you stop there... If you stop there, you've not got the biggest picture. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that actually how most of us live most of the time? That the world revolves around me it's about me, it's about my needs, it's about my concerns, it's about me. And the danger is if you, only hear, if you only hear what I've just said about the good news of God and you stop there, what the danger is is this, that you think in becoming a Christian you've enlisted God on your side and God will help you with all your problems. I'm telling you, there will be a moment when you will be grossly disappointed. Because you'll have this conversation, and some of you will have it outright, and some of you will only be thinking it. But, oh God, I've given up all of this for you. And yet, look at how you treat me. Oh God, I signed up to follow you. I'm I'm putting myself through church services for you, God. And in return, you don't seem to be doing much. Because you thought that when you became a Christian, you enlisted God for you. It's my problem, my, consist- my circumstance, my situation. But you know, the New Testament sees it differently. The New Testament sees it like this, that the moment you surrendered to Jesus, he embraced you on his cause. You didn't enlist him to yours, he embraced you on his. He said to you, I'm going to take you and I want to embrace you on my cause. I want you to live for my cause. You haven't enlisted God on your cause. He's embraced you on his. God has a plan for the world. God has a plan for our city And the remarkable thing is he embraces you as part of his desire for the city, for the country, for our world. I know it sounds grand, and it can sound arrogant, and it can sound like just ridiculous, except you're encountering the city every day of your life, whether it be through work, whether it be through you, you, when you're doing the shopping, wherever you find yourself, actually you're, you're, you're encountering the city. And God wants to use you for his cause because God really, really loves this world. You would not go to the duchy estate if you didn't believe that God really loves the duchy. There's not one household on that estate that God did not send Jesus to die for. There is not one family there that are so, in such a situation of whether they're doing really well or whether they're really struggling. It's not about need. It's actually, there's not one family there that God says, I'm not bothered about them. Because God loves our city. And he calls you and I to live for his cause. But, of course, we live in a world where we have rights that we insist on. We have needs that must be met, and we have privileges that we want to protect. And that goes deep into our culture. We would never use that. But I wonder how many of you have ever found yourself. I was trying to think about where this sort of stuff works out. Any of you? any of you in the home thought, I have a right not to be treated like this or at work, even more at work. I wonder how many of you have said, I just don't need this. I just don't need this. And what you're talking about are people normally, let's be honest. It might be the occasional cold, but mostly it's people. (laughs) I just don't need this. I don't need this complication of people around me. I have needs, you know, that must be met. So if you get in my way of my needs being met, I'm going to choose meeting my needs rather than anything else. And I've got privileges, and I want to protect my privilege. And then Jesus comes. If you've got a Bible nearby and you'd like to follow what I'm reading, then turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. I'm actually wanting to concentrate on one verse, but keep your Bible open because I'm going to flick back and then flick forward around the verse I want to concentrate on. Jesus said this in verse 34. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. There's the verse. Now, I think what Jesus is doing, it's like a saying that it's kind of like being passed down as a saying. It's obviously Jesus, what Jesus is saying. But what, what's going on here, I think, is just in terms of how it's structured is, you've got whoever wants to be my disciple is paralleled with and follow me. So those two kind of like go together and then deny themselves and take up their cross. Those two go together. It's like a little mirror, really. So if you could imagine a mirror along them there, you'd get who wants to be my disciple and deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. It's kind of like neatly packaged. Jesus saw the crowd and he simply asked them and his disciples and he says, do you want to follow me? Do you want to follow me? And It's kind of like, you, you'd like to think, you just go, yeah, of course. A few years ago, quite a few years ago now, I led the oldest house group in Christendom. Some of you were part of it. <laughs> there is, I, I've tested this out since. There is no house group older, in terms of collective age, than the house group that I led. Most of those people in that group are dead now, But that had nothing to do with being part of the group. They're all with the Lord. And it was interesting. And it was brilliant. It's the best, I've got to tell you, it was the best group I've ever been part of. Thank you. It's like Shirley was the youth group of of the house group. (laughs) Because she was a bare minimum 65. She was like a spring chicken. And uh, so we got these people together. Some of these people were sort of like in their 80s. And uh, they said to me, uh, I said to them, uh, you know, how do we want this house group to run? And they said, we don't want any icebreakers. Stupid things you have to do before you have a proper conversation. That's the definition of an icebreaker. And and I kind of think, well, that's fair enough, because when I get to 80, I don't want to do any stupid icebreakers either. To be honest, I'm not 80. Anyway, um, and they said, we don't want to do that. We want to do deep Bible study. Now, I I grew up in a context where deep Bible study was a euphemism for boring. All right? And I thought, I could do that. You know I can. But I thought, I don't want to do that. So I suggested we would do something else. I said, let's simply read the Bible together. And when we get stuck, we'll stop. But if we're not stuck, we'll just keep on reading for one hour. We met for an hour and a half. We spent half an hour talking about donkey stoning front steps. And the virtues of tripe and Coltsfoot. And then after we'd done that for 30 minutes, for an hour, we read the Bible together. You can read a lot of the Bible in an hour if you read it out loud. You can read half of, you can read all of the Gospel of Mark out loud in an hour. You can read uh, quite a lot of uh, Matthew's Gospel, etc. We read through lots of the Old Testament. We read through the New Testament twice. This was the interesting bit. Most of those people in that group had been following Jesus for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years. But I remember the the mornings when we'd get to the end of the gospel readings and I simply would say, do you still want to follow Jesus? And some people would go, it sounds awfully hard, doesn't it? It sounds awfully hard. And part of me, and I understood that, because part of me kind of said, Yeah, it is. Because actually, what had happened was you'd been, instead of massaging the gospel and explaining why Jesus didn't really mean what he meant, so make it manageable for ourselves, we were hit with it. And with Paul's epistles. Jesus comes to the crowd and he says, Do you want to be my disciple? He doesn't say, do you want to go to synagogue more often? He actually says, do you want to follow me? Some of you are old enough to uh, have gone through this experience. And it's back in fashion, of course, now. I'm talking about apprenticeship. Apprenticeship had a long history in our country and it was a noble history and all the trades if you wanted to get involved in a trade you'd become an apprentice and you would be an apprentice for 5 years 6 years and and i you know clearly i haven't had that experience but some of you in the room have but what happened was, you were apprenticed to someone who would train you. And it was someone who was doing the job that you would do, and they would teach you, they would train you, they would take the mickey out of you, they would send you on... Uh, job, and, and, and it would take years. Because someone said, if you want to do this right, you've got to learn, you've got to understand, and you've got to be able to do. I want you to learn from me. That word apprentice is what Jesus means by the word disciple. exactly the same picture. Do you want to be an apprentice of Jesus? Of course, when Jesus is speaking, it's, are you willing to go the way of the cross? And it kind of starts here Last night, when I was listening to Tony Campolo preach, and really, his his preaching was really, it was very compelling, but it was actually very simple. Because the challenge to me was, yet again, this is how I read it, Neil, will you stop massaging Jesus to make him fit your life? And will you embrace the kingdom and follow Jesus? Why would you want to follow him? Well, if you've got your Bible still open, the verses just before, in verse 27, Jesus and disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. What about you? Who do you say I am? And this is Peter's big moment. Who do you say Jesus is? The great provider. The one who meets all my needs. My best friend. This is Peter's big moment. You're the Messiah. You're the one that's come to shake everything up. You're the one that's come to say, this world is not right, and it's not always gonna be like this. Actually, I've come to make a difference. I've come with a new rulership, and I've come with a new agenda. The world is not as it's gonna be. It's gonna change. Will you follow me? You have rights, you have needs, you have privileges. But depending on your answer to that question, the rest of the gospel will outline what it means to walk the way of the cross, which is to give up your rights. You sang it before. To serve the needs of others and not your own. And to use your privilege and to use your influence and to use your power for the sake of others. This is what it means to serve Jesus. That's why it works out at work. That's why it works out in the family. That's why it works out in your relationships. It's not me standing on my rights, my needs, my privilege, and banging on about it, but it's actually the way of the cross. I'm trying to learn what it means to follow Jesus. Last thing. So is all this going to be about sort of like gritting your teeth and just hoping for the best? No. Jesus continues. And in the next verse, uh, verse 35, he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. It's like Jesus says, it's not about duty. It's that this is the only way to life. God uses us on his mission. If you lose, you lose your rights, you lose your privileges, you lose that insatiable me-centeredness if you decide not to think less of yourself but just to think of yourself less. is <laughs> that. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of what God's doing around me, then you find your life. You think you lose it. But you get it. You really live. The glory of recreation. Do you want to follow Jesus? It's really important you understand what to expect. He does love you. He has dealt with our sin and the sin of the world. He has wrapped us up into his kingdom he has given us his spirit, but not so we will have a comfortable life. He's done it because he's got a grand plan. That he's embracing you in. And some of you, I know some of you are in a situation where you're going, well, it's fine, but I'm banging my head here and it hurts. Do you want to follow Jesus? Or do you want to retreat? And in a moment, too, we'll take communion as we do week by week. We'll take the bread and it'll be broken and it'll be offered to you and it will be that symbol, that sign, that window, that portal into the broken body of Jesus, the one whose love gave everything. And it'll, it'll be offered to you and you say, take it, you can take this. And the cup is there, that cup that enables us to have a relationship with God and it'll be offered to you and There's not one of you in the room that says, I'm not able to take that because I'm not good enough. That's the point of being offered the cup. Take it. But then as you walk back to your seat, you walk back with the life of Jesus because you're the people that said, yes, I want to follow you. You'll spend all week working out what that means in your situation. There'll be temptations to go your own way. But actually, today, what do you expect in following Jesus? I expect to be apprenticed in the way of the cross. And I say yes. Should we stand? Let's pray together. Let's just take a minute. It has to be more than rhetoric. It has to be further than just good words. It has to be you saying yes to Jesus. It has to be me saying yes to Jesus again. It has to be me facing up to the reality of the demand in my life and saying yes to Jesus. It's easier to sing about Jesus being Lord than it is to surrender. You don't need to be in control of everything. It's not about your needs being met. It's not about your privileges being protected. It's not about your rights that you have to stand on. It's about using, allowing God to use you for the sake of others. Lord Jesus. We say yes, but we say it tremblingly. Mm -hmm. We don't say it easily, and we don't want to say it glibly. But we know this is the crucial moment where everything else will work out from this. So Lord, today we want to say yes. Lord, help us. Lord, thank you that you sent Jesus to die in our place that we might not carry all the hassle and all the grief of our own lives, but you would carry that. Lord, thank you for the healing and the restoration you do in our lives. Thank you about all the things that you recreate in us. But Lord, thank you. You do it for the sake of your kingdom. You do it for the sake of others. Lord, may we live for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, may you meet with us, we pray.